Hey there, thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better, and our heart is to reach, send, nurture, and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or head over to our website, resound.church forward slash app, to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. So I want to continue today talking about, uh, you're in a series called Refocus. Last week I began to talk to you about our cultural values. There's some questions uh, that I asked last time and we'll go through them again. Uh, The first is this, what cultural values, practices or habits do you have at home? I said, you know, what happens in your home is determined by who's leading in that home and there are some good things that happen in homes, some bad things that happen in home, and uh, the people making the decisions uh, uh, with regard to the, uh, uh, the environment are the ones that determine what's taking place. The challenge is when something's happening in your home that you don't want to happen in your home, someone has to do something about it. And um, obviously it's the people who are charged with that responsibility who determines what's important in a home. How strict are those values? What happens when they're tested? Who changes the culture and the values? We said uh, culture is the sum of our practice values. In other words, a, a culture is made up of the values that are somehow adopted. Forget the ones that are spoken about and think about the ones that are practiced, because you can say one thing, like I said last week, and do another. The culture is what you practice, it's not what you preach. Does that make sense? It's easy to say, oh no, this is what we value, and then it's what you do that determines what you value, not what you say. And we we talked last week about the Pharisees, and and Jesus' problem with the Pharisees was not what they preached, but what they did, or what they didn't do, rather. And um, so we're going to continue where we left off last week. And I'm going to put some some things up on the board. Remember last week we spoke about the, the greatest commandments and that's the way it should be said, not the greatest commandment. Because uh, Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Well, there's two actually. And the first is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second, and the version of, uh, that we looked at said, it is equally important to love your neighbour as yourself. And what we mistakenly do is think the first is more important than the second. No, the first determines how you practice the second. Think about that for a minute. If you love God, then there's a way that you can love others. It's how you do, uh, it's how you love others that's important and it's determined by the first. But Jesus said that the second is equally important. So loving God is not more important than loving people. Loving people is not more important than loving God. The two are melded together, they're locked together. One determines how you behave when you're doing the seconds. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, many Many of you would understand the five love languages. Put up your hand if you understand that phrase, the five love, yeah. Um, there's some good things with that and some bad things. The reality is this, many people show their love in the way that they receive love. I know that's true in my circumstance, it's true in Ruth's circumstance, and I'm sure it's true in yours as well. 
The trouble with demonstrating love in the way you receive love is that it doesn't necessarily achieve the the goal of showing love to the person who doesn't receive it in the way you receive it. Now, if we go back to what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got this problem. Um, Demonstrating love needs to be uh, needs to be practiced in a way that the person who is is the target of the love receives it now there are things that i can do for ruth that don't make her feel loved and there are other things that i can do that will make her feel loved for those of you who don't understand the five love languages as um, <clears throat> i'll remember them all there's quality time physical touch acts of service gifts of in uh, yeah, gifts, and then words of affirmation. And the theory behind this is that if someone wants to feel loved, then they need to be loved in a way that they receive love. In other words, for Ruth, her two love languages, if you like, are gifts and words, uh, words of affirmation. And I reckon, I reckon I'm getting ripped off because that means all I've got to do is buy her things and tell her how good she is. And then she feels loved. I'm actually wired a little different. I don't care. Someone buys me a gift and please don't be offended. I don't really care for gifts. It doesn't, it doesn't do much for me. I, sometimes I think, oh, don't waste your money. I don't need a gift. Um, I, I, I'm not big on words of affirmation either. And that means it's more difficult for me to give them because when someone says something encouraging to me, I say, oh yeah, that's fine. I, 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 it's not that I don't hear it. It's just, it doesn't matter that much to me. But acts of service is what I do. So if I want to, if I want to receive love when somebody does something as an act of service for me, I, I I appreciate what they do. The way I show love normally is through an act of service. And so, the trouble with that is if in my relationship with Ruth I'm trying to show love, doing acts of service are not adequate. And it's not because the act of service isn't appreciated, it's because the way she feels love is through gifts and words of affirmation. And so what I have to do is step outside of myself to do something that doesn't come as natural to me um, for her to receive the love that I'm attempting to give. Does does this make sense? Now the tricky thing with us is this. Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God. The trouble is, many of us love God in the way we think we should love him rather than the way that he wants us to love him. And secondly, he goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting because it's a, it's a, different, it's a different way of doing it. Now, Well, it's a different way of acting. So Jesus didn't say, love the Lord your God as you love yourself. And and that's because God determines how we ought to love him. Our neighbours ought to be valued or prioritised based on how we value or prioritise ourselves. This is challenging to think about. It's such a simple phrase, but a complex thing to put into practice. The first thing I want you to understand is this. We know that God's love results in his free gift. And Rachel did a great job this morning of doing communion. 
But God's love expresses itself through grace. So, so God loves you. The way he expressed himself is through grace. Sorry if you can't read it. <clears throat> now, grace is useless unless there's a reason for it. We, talk, we like to talk about grace, but the only reason grace is valuable is because of the, uh, the, the, the saving aspect or the consequence if grace isn't exhibited. Uh, I remember one time, most of the other times it hasn't worked, but one time I was pulled over for speeding. And, <clears throat> and yeah, <laughs> well, this is the only time it happened. And the policeman exhibited grace towards me. Now, the grace meant he let me off the consequence of my speeding. Does that make sense? So if there was no consequence to speeding, grace would, be, would, would have no value. And so grace only has value where you understand there is a consequence. In other words, um, it's, if it, it, I remember many years ago, I was in school and um, believe it or not, I used to get in lots of trouble at school. I don't know why. <clears throat> but, but from time to time, the consequence when I went to school was, and uh, I remember one time in particular in Queensland, the consequence of my... <clears throat> misbehaving was the cane. This is a lovely piece of material. And in those days, you would wear shorts to school, or well, you did because it was warm. And the cane, you know, sometimes they'd cane you across the hands, but other times they'd cane you across the backs of your legs. Now, I, I, I know they don't do this anymore. But when a teacher exhibited grace, it meant it saved you from the pain of the, uh, uh, of the punishment. And so God's love exhibited itself in grace. And we know that, that grace is personified in Jesus Christ. In other words, we've been saved from the consequences of sin that come about as a result of the fall. So when we come to understanding grace, we move then to a place where we're told to love God and equally to love people. Let's read Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 to 10. It says this, Paul writing, he says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. What's the good news? Grace. Jesus Christ has saved us from the consequence of our sin there's an opportunity now of us all entering into a relationship with God as was originally intended. This good news is bearing fruit, uh, sorry, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The message, if, if I'm paraphrasing, the message changes lives. It's like you get let off. God in his grace has let you off, but there is a, 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 an expectation. You need to love God. Now, this is not a qualification. It's, it's a commandment. You need to love God, but you love him in the way that he expects you to love him. Verse 7, it says, You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so, 
that phrase, he has told us about the uh, love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. While we can understand what it means to love God to a certain extent, loving people is a difficult thing. The reason it's difficult is because we don't know how they're going to receive love and we ourselves need to demonstrate love, which is difficult as as well. And the reason that the whole thing becomes difficult is because we lack grace. In other words, when someone annoys us or someone upsets us, usually we don't afford them the same grace that we ourselves have received. So if, uh, if Jared does something wrong, um, it's not so bad for us because we're distant from him, but in his home, it'll be tolerated for a while and then grace will run out and he'll get in trouble. Jared's in trouble often. <coughs> Let's read further on. It says, um, so Paul has said, the Uh, The love that is being exhibited by the church at Colossae is as a result of what the Holy Spirit has done in them, has given to them. And he goes on, he says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. He goes on, he says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. When it comes to loving God, the challenge is knowing what God wants. And the reality is it's different for each of us because we're all unique. We're to love God, but for you to love God will look a little different than for me to love God. Why is that? Is it because God is different to you than he is to me? No, but you are different. And God, by the Holy Spirit, works in you, increasing your understanding of him, but also increasing your understanding of yourself so that you can get to the place where you're able to exhibit a little bit more love to him. And we haven't got time this morning to go through all of this in in Colossians, but it it says, I'll read it again, it says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding, then the way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Uh, All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And so for us to love God, we need to get to know him better so that we can please him by the way we conduct ourselves. The reality is for us to love people, we need to exhibit grace, both in loving people, but also in receiving the love of others. And it's, a, it's an ongoing, constant challenge. Now, we've, uh, <clears throat> I've said that today, you know, there's this word grace, and I've said what we're doing is we're working, this is generous if you can't read it, relational, I'm going to run out of room, and authentic, uh, whoops, habit. It's harder to spell when you're going down. So what we said is our values come from this word grace. The first is generous. And the reason um, generosity is so important 
is because it is impossible for grace to be shown apart from generosity. It is impossible for love to be shown apart from generosity. If I can say this so that you will understand, there isn't anyone who is always generous. There are acts of generosity, and the sum of the acts of generosity may have you defining somebody as generous, but we are not always generous all the time. God is, but we are not. The person, so when we're talking about generosity, obviously we want to be generous towards God, but generous towards people. Relational. The reason that's important is ultimately the two most important things God wants us to do is to love him and to love those around about us. We're relational people. We're meant to be connected with one another. And the way we practice our love for God is is demonstrated through the way that we connect and, and relate to those around about us. You can't say that you love God, but you hate people. It's not possible. You cannot demonstrate your love for God apart from people. It is, it, it's, it, I think, what's the word? A tautology. It's not, it, it, the two can't be separated. Is that a tautology? Somebody younger will say yes or no. Is, is that right? Yeah. And so we've got this word generous and we've got relational. And then we've got this word authentic. Now, we're not always relational. How many of you want to be with people all the time? <laughs> there was a few. Let me tell you, I, I don't want to be with people all the time, and people probably don't want to be with me all the time as well, so it goes both ways. And so while, gen, while we're not generous all the time, we can act generously. While we're not relational all the time, we can act relationally. The reason authenticity is so important is because we are not authentic all of the time either. Now, some of you will say, I'm always authentic. No, you're not. Put you in one room, you'll act one way. Put them in another room and you'll act another way. And it won't be something that you choose to do. It'll be something that almost comes over you. The challenge with authenticity is to be who you really are. And it's an ongoing journey that you, that you go through for the rest of your life. We keep working towards becoming more authentic. The reason we struggle with authenticity is expectation of those around us and our understanding of God and who he is. The the reality is lots of people feel like God is down on them or he's hard on them or he's punishing them. Why? Because you don't understand who God is and therefore you conduct yourself in a way different than than you ought. You're afraid that you won't be accepted and the the truth is you're like that with people as well. There are times where it's overt and there's times where it's covert. It's like, I'm this now. So uh, you look at me here and I'm standing here and you think, hi, he's being very authentic. Well, there's part of me that's being authentic and there's part of me that's not. Because we all like to hide away. No one likes to give everything of themselves away. There are very few people that, that want everything out there. And, you know, when everything is out there, it should not be out there. There are some things that should be kept between you and God or you and your spouse. And that doesn't mean you lack authenticity, but but others assessing you could say you lack authenticity. The goal is for us to be who we are. Now, authenticity is really important because um, if, if we're to be in an environment 
we're, we're, we're not judged, then, uh, sorry, if, if we're to be in an environment where there is no judgment, then it allows authenticity to flourish. The reality is we live in a world where judgment happens all the time. And and that decreases authenticity because we're concerned with how we'll be perceived. We'll be concerned with with what people think of us. Let me move forward on this. Said we all wear a mask and the mask we wear differs depending upon our circumstances. Authenticity is all about being who you are despite the pressures being applied to be somebody else. People may not like who you are, but at least you ought to be genuine. Do do you know, if everyone exhibited grace, then we could all be more authentic. If everyone exhibited grace, um, then this could be a place where there is no judgment. And ultimately, you know, judgment destroys people, and that's the purpose that we're granted grace. If, If there is no judgment then the grace is not necessary, but because there is grace, we're set free. We can be who we're meant to be. You can be who you were meant to be. And that doesn't mean any of us are perfect, but it means we're all going on the journey. Next thing I want to talk to you is about, is this word compelling. And some people will say, what on earth does that have to do with all this? It's not going to fit, but you know how it's spelled. It's up there. There's a phrase, a description says, we aim to ensure every experience demonstrates our best effort is compelling and has the potential to catalyze change. Paul in Corinthians said Christ's love compels us. In other words, the weight of what Christ did was so significant that it moved Paul to put his life on the, on the line so that others might know the same grace. And my question to you today is, are you being compelled? And the answer, whether you realise it or not, is yes, you are being compelled. But my question is, what environment is, is it that's creating this compilation, if that's right, if that's a word? Compilation's a word, but I don't know if compilation is a word. Let me give to you a, a simple example. This morning... On the, on the news, there's a story of a, a man who ran a marathon, something for you to aspire to, Katie, and he finally broke two hours. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, um, it, it, it wasn't considered a world record because he didn't meet all the criteria, apparently had multiple runners and things like that. But the bottom line is this, a man ran a marathon and broke the two-year... Uh, two-year. <laughs> That's probably how long it'll take me. <laughs> he broke the two-hour record, which is extraordinary. It's profound. As a matter of fact, it's compelling. It's compelling in the sense that it draws you in. It, um, it does something inside of you. For people who run marathons, it, 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 it would encourage them to continue to run. For aspiring runners... You know, the serious athletes, they know now that that barrier's been broken and they would be challenged to break the barrier themselves. And so there's something that happens when something extraordinary takes place. It's got, it, 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 it does something collectively to us. Ideally, 
we as individuals would be compelling in moments, but that corporately our environment would become compelling. In other words, that when, you're, when you land in this environment, what we want is something to happen inside of you. Some of you will be compelled to reach out. Some of you, hopefully many of you, will be compelled to go and get one of the Samaritan's boxes. But, but the idea is that it will move you to action as a result of our individual and collective efforts. There'll be something that takes place that moves you to do something. Some of you, hopefully, this morning will think about God's love in a different way. You'll think about grace in a different way. You'll think about how you express yourself to God in love in a different way. The goal is that the, that the, the church and also that individuals in the church would be compelling or moving people in such a way that they do good works. That's the, that's the, that's the aim. That's the outcome that we're after. Um. <clears throat> You know, our best effort can have the impact of catalyzing change in others for their benefit. The goal is not to change people, but the outcome of interaction can be an inner desire to change. So when we talk about compelling, can I explain this? It's not selling. Compelling and selling are two different things. When you're compelled to do something, it's something that burns deep within. It's not that you're convinced about buying a product. It's just that something moves within you as a result of what's been presented or what you've experienced, that it makes you want to change. And ideally, we'd be in an environment where people want to change, not, be, not because they're told to change, but because of their desire, uh, or, or a desire was birthed as a result of the interaction that they've had. And, and there are times, you know, you, and you meet people and it brings about some compelling feel in you, some change in you that, that hopefully works for the good of others around about us. The final word is encouragement. Just that'll do. <laughs> we want to create an atmosphere where people gain courage for life through our interactions with them. Wherever you're at in life, you need more courage. And one source of that courage is the people around you. Breaking barriers, pushing through, changing the game requires strength and endurance and encouragement is a critical component to building the strength that you need. You, you, you see, for any of us to go beyond the current barriers we experience, we need not only internal fortitude or courage, but we need external courage as well. We need someone to say, yes, you can do it. You'll do well. We, we're with you. We're standing with you. Those words reverberate and hopefully translate into some new impetus that makes a difference when you make an effort. And you know, as, when it comes to a corporate environment, we want it to be an encouraging environment. We want it to be a place where people walk out thinking, you know what, I feel like I can face the challenges that I've got this week with new hope as a result of the words that I heard publicly or privately from somebody. Or I know that, you know, as I head into this new business that there are people who believe in me and it's going to make a difference. There are, there are so many benefits to encouragement and, you know, encouraging words are so simple to offer. 
you don't run out of encouraging words. It's not like it's a resource that taxes you. You might say, well, I just don't know what to say. Well, say it in the way that you don't know how to say it. It still communicates. It still gets across. It, it, it still makes a difference. You may stumble and stutter in attempting to do something but uh, uh, say something to someone, but if you communicate that to them, then it still, run, it still runs the course. You know, just recently I was listening on the radio to... Um, to Neil Danaher. Many of you know Neil Danaher, used to coach the Melbourne Football Club, played for uh, the Bombers, but he is now suffering from MNT, um, from motor neurone disease. And as a result of that, you know, his speech is, is uh, difficult to listen to at the least. He, he's finding it hard to speak. But every word now seems to mean even more than it did before. Because the guy is struggling to say the words that he says, yet he is still out there promoting his cause and doing what he can. And, and, and the fact that he has less words than he used to have and the words are more difficult to understand actually increases the encouragement uh, potency because of, of, of the challenges he faces. And so you might say, well, I don't know what to say to encourage somebody. Find something to say because your struggle will also communicate in a way that will make a difference and give courage to people around about them. My question to you is, can you encourage somebody today? Yes, you can you can find somebody and say something to them that will make a difference if you're willing. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11 says this, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. This is not something for just a moment, it's, it's, it's a critical component of the church. As a matter of fact, it's what Jesus desired us to do when he said we're to love God and to love people. You, the way we love people is by acting generously to them, treating them as equals, being honest and open, uh, 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 conducting ourselves in a way that's compelling to them and encouraging them. The way you love people is easily, easily done if you exhibit grace toward them and all of the components that I've just said. Now, let's go back to where we started. And um, Katie, if you could just come and sit on the keyboard. That's not in front of you. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe just stand at the keyboard might be better. You know, try, no, I'm encouraging. You just sit on the keyboard. <laughs> just see if you can do it. Oh. <laughs> now I've lost my point. <laughs> this is gone completely. Oh, you've had enough, huh? <laughs> you can do it, Kate. It's okay. He can do it. We can make a difference for one another. You can make a difference. I can make a difference. And ultimately, if we're to love God, then we do it this way. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. What he was saying was to demonstrate your love for him through the way that you treat others around about you. You, you see, it's, it's difficult to love God and while we praise him and we thank him and we worship him, we don't do those things to somebody who is somehow deficient and, and in need. But when we love people, 
we're always targeting people who are deficient and in need. And that's not a judgment, that's just true of all of us. And the way that God ultimately wants us to love Him is by exhibiting behaviour that makes a difference to those that He's reaching out to. Don't think that when you choose someone to target that you're doing it by yourself. Don't think that when you choose somebody to encourage today that it's something you've initiated. God by the Holy Spirit, and we we read from Colossians earlier, God by the Holy Spirit is teaching us to love one another. And He inspires us. And when you have a thought come into your mind, I'm just going to go up and, and encourage Peter Baldry, that it's a work of the Holy Spirit and you're partnering together with Him. It's not one of you going, it's both of you going together. Sharon, who needs the encouragement, she's been married to Peter for a long time. <laughs> God's plan, God's desire. The outcome he was after right from the very beginning is that we would live in harmony with one another. Jesus, in John 17, prayed that we might become one. What does becoming one mean? It means we've found a way to connect with one another that no longer grates, but builds up. And you know, like I said before, You can't be generous all the time. You can't be relational all the time. You may not be authentic all the time. You won't be compelling all the time. And maybe not all of the time are you encouraging, but you can choose times to be those things. And if you do them often enough, what happens is people begin to describe you as being like that. Collectively in here, as we do these things, hopefully that people will find an environment that is generous, that's encouraging, that's compelling, that's authentic. And that's relational. And in doing all of that, we ought to continue to remind ourselves that we're showing grace as God has already shown it to us. Often the reason we don't do these things is because of the judgment that we have in our mind about somebody else. Well, I'm just not going to talk to Simon. He, He walked past me, didn't say hello, so I'm not saying hello to him. It's so easy to do. So easy to make an assessment of somebody else. Can I say this? Simon's probably not likely to do it. I might. I'm likely to do it, Simon, not so. If someone walks past you and you think there's a problem, the Bible's clear on that as well. Go and talk to them. Rather than avoid them, go and talk to them. And let let, um, God have his way in restoring a relationship if there really is a problem. But most of the time, there isn't a problem. It's our, it's our judgment. Well, he just looked like he scowled at me. Well, maybe he looks like that often. I often look like that. And it's not true that I'm in a bad mood. It's just the way that I look. Some of us look one way. Some of us look the other. Don't judge me if that's how I look. <laughs> what difference can you make for somebody around about you if you suspended all judgment? If you made a decision not to assess how you feel and how you think they feel and you simply acted generously, spoke encouragingly, maintained your authenticity, the world would be a different place if the world could be like that and that's ultimately what God desires. But we can be a microcosm of the same thing. 
place where people come in who are hurt, lonely, maybe don't fit into society. A place where they can experience not only God's grace, but our grace as it's practiced through these values. Sadly, as much as we'd like to say this happens all the time, it doesn't. I said at the start, you know, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And the reality is all of us fail at times to be or to do what we want to do or what we say we're going to do. All I'm asking you today is, you know, the church is not me. It's not Ruth and I. It's not our oversight. The church is us. It's all of us together. And the church's behavior is all of us together, not just one person. And if, if we just make, make our best effort to do these things, then we can be a blessing to somebody else. I don't know about you, but there's nothing better than helping somebody in need. You, know, you see somebody who's in need and you're able to help them, it makes a big difference, not only for them, but for yourself as well in the process. And if people who come into this building, especially on a Sunday morning, found a group of people that wanted to help them in the midst of their need, then that would make God pleased with us. As a matter of fact, I think that would be us demonstrating His love. There'll always be challenges, but if we make an effort to be generous, to be relational, to be authentic, to be compelling and to be encouraging, then I think we've got a better chance of showing God that we love Him and people that we love them as well. Will you stand together with me this morning, please? It's easy to talk about these things in theory, but the reality is there are many people that still struggle to come to grips with the grace of God and the grace of others. As I was thinking and preparing, I just just felt that there was people this morning that wanted to respond and say, you know what, I just need a fresh glimpse of God's grace in my life. You may know it in theory, but... There's nothing more profound or impacting than God's grace being felt emotionally. You know, as a result of grace being given, there's an emotional response. And sometimes what we need is just a moment where God reminds us again of His love for us and His grace. None of us are perfect, we all know that. This is not about receiving grace because we've done something wrong, but sometimes we just need to be reminded, hey, God's grace is being extended to you today, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. He wants to show grace to you. It's not a doesn't mean all of that you've done wrong is somehow suddenly approved of. It just simply means that you've been let off as a result of what Jesus has done. So I'm going to pray in a few moments and it may be this morning that, that you want to make your way to the front and stand here and, 
and say, God, just give me a fresh glimpse of your grace. No one's going to necessarily come and pray for you. It may be just a moment between you and God, but you you know, for me, I do the same. I, I constantly say, God, I need a fresh glimpse of your grace. Not because there's anything drastically wrong, it's just there are moments in time where the emotion that goes with feeling that something that I need in my life. And it may be today that you want that same thing. So as I pray, we're going to sing a song just quietly. And as we do, if you want to come to the front and stand here, it may be that you want prayer. We're happy to pray for you. Maybe that you just want to say, hey, God, show me grace today, afresh, that I might experience it anew. Father, I pray. Come and move by your Holy Spirit in this place as we're standing here. Who, who, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we're from. And it doesn't actually matter what we've done. Your grace is extended to us, not, not only once, but continually. And my prayer is, in, is today that in these few moments, the people would experience a profound sense of your presence and with it, emotional feeling of grace knowing that we've been as it were set free let off moved by your Holy Spirit upon people as they're standing here right now let your presence become so real so that the, the hearts beat become aware of you Fill this building with your presence. We know that you're already here, but let us know that you're here amongst us. Father, my my final prayer is this, that you would help not just me, but all of us to do the things that we've spoken about today. Father, we do want to love you in the way that you want us to demonstrate love. And we do want to love those around about us knowing that we ourselves are not perfect, but we want to to love others as well. We just ask that you would come, that you would help us to do that, not only today, but in the weeks that lie ahead, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.